Welcome to Shouter and Grits. Today is Monday, June 24th, and we've got part two of the Andy Bitter Virginia Tech preview for you. Uh, you're joining us for the first time with Shouter and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what's going on? Not a lot, you know. I um, Just being an adult, being an adult, you come into uh, interesting decisions you have to make. I've been doing some undershirt shopping, which is awesome. Um, you know, I'm not a real fan of the collars that get real tight on your neck, so I decided recently after doing some Amazon browsing, that it was time to move to a V-neck. Um, I don't know where you sit on the, I don't know what, is it a crew neck? I guess a crew neck versus a V-neck. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't want the, the white t-shirt poking up out of my collar, so I decided to go with a V-neck. The shirts got here fairly recently. I've been wearing one today. I was wearing one at the office. Um, the thing that the pictures don't do justice is, like, how aggressive v-neck was that i ended up with i mean i look like i'm in a big hair band from the 80s if i take my dress shirt off so i'm not necessarily loving that but at the same time i don't know maybe maybe i'm an aggressive v-neck guy justin i don't know i'm learning a lot about myself here so you know you know i'm i i kind of fluctuate between the two um my issue with the v-neck is you know how much of that chest hair do i want to really show off you know how italian do i really want to be <laughs> for the day right. um that's kind of my concern Sure. I don't have like the crazy chest hair where it looks like you've got a magic carpet sure. underneath your shirt, but you know you got a couple that'll that'll poke out there. So yeah. we'll see. You know, I I kind of I kind of mix it. It depends on how big the V neck is. Yeah. You know, I don't want too big of a V. Right. Just maybe a little V. Right. I'm okay with. Yeah, and I think I'm at the line now where it's almost too big of a V, but maybe to the point where I've jumped the shark in that now I'm just like an aggressive V neck kind of guy. So. Um, I'll keep you updated on this. I know people are probably going to be wanting, hey, where does Tim land in the aggressive V-neck versus the more moderate V-neck space? I don't know. Uh, that's why you tune into the podcast on a weekly basis. That it is. So if you're tuning in and wondering why we're talking about fashion, it's because that's kind of what we do here. We like to jump in, little uh, little banter back and forth. But you know what we do have today, Tim, is part two of the interview with Andy Bitter from The Athletic, Absolutely. Virginia Tech beat writer. Uh, really good sit down. And, uh, you know, on Thursday we heard, you know, just a little bit about Andy, uh, you know, checking out the uh, recruiting scene across the state of Virginia, Virginia Tech in particular, you know, where the Hokies rank on a national scale. And then, of course, uh, we talked about some of the chaos from the 2018 season and how, how that's maybe affecting what they're doing this year. If you haven't listened to that, uh, be sure to do that. You might want to do that first so it makes sense a little bit. Come back, listen to this, whatever way you want to do it, but uh, be sure to check it out either way. Uh, part two, we're jumping into 2019 expectations, a look at the offense and defense, and then we're doing a little bit of rapid fire. So don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Here it is. All right, well, let's jump into 2019 expectations. So you know, you had a quote, you, you sat down with Fuente recently, and just first off, like on a gr like a grading scale, A to F, what would you give Fuente as an interview? Great, was. <laughs> Great question. He can be an A if he wants to. Uh, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think... It doesn't seem like he wants to a whole lot. That's the operative word. <laughs> he generally chooses to be a C or B minus interview, somewhere in that range. It's just, 
he's not a guy that's going to put himself out there in an interview. Uh, or, or yeah. to, you know, he's got opinions about stuff. He generally likes to keep them to himself, and he likes to keep a lot of stuff <laughs> in-house. So uh, it's a tough nut to crack sometimes. Sometimes, though, you'll get him on a subject that he, he likes to talk about, and he'll get going. He gives you a really thoughtful, deep answer with, you know, it's like, oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. So every now and then you sort of get those gems, but they're few and far between uh, occasionally. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like to me like a Whit Babcock is a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve a little bit more during an interview. You know, it seems like you get a little bit more context into how he's feeling about certain situations, whereas, you know, Fuente can give you a whole lot of coach speak if he wants to. So I think you're a little bit more lenient, greater than I am. But just to kind of like get your read on, you know, what his opinion is based off of coming out of last year, you know, he still kind of referenced that he, he feels like there is some of the baggage still there. If I kind of read this part of the interview, right. But then you talk to guys like Kazika Grimsley who have gone on record to say that, you know, this feels like an entirely different team this year, you know, the energy, the connection's different. Um, and he feels like, you know, it's a situation where it's going to be special. So what do you think just from your sense of, of being around the program? I think, I think there's a lot better feeling around the program right now. I, I think there's no delusion on Fuente's part that the roster is just completely fixed at this point. And by fixed, I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of bad attitudes around the team anymore. I think that a lot of that has been ironed out. A lot of guys that didn't want to be here aren't necessarily here right now. Uh, I think where you look at it, you look at the roster, and it's like they still only have like six seniors. And of those six seniors, right. I think like through two two of them are probable starters. I think it's Willis and Reggie Floyd, and everybody else there. It's kind of a question mark of whether they'll have a role on this team. Uh, so when that's the makeup of your roster, it's still not quite right. It's still not like you have that big senior class like he had in 2016 when he got here. Uh, you know, he inherited that group with you know Sam Rogers and Augie Conti and all the you know Kenny Canem. All those guys that have been here forever that's sort of the backbone of that team that won the division uh, in the first year that Fuente was here. So so lacking that, uh, you know, it's still sort of a weird roster construction the way they have that. They're going to have to lean on some younger guys uh, to be leaders. That said, some of those younger guys have played now. It's not like they're going in there for the first time. Like, you know, Dax Hollyfield has seen the field now. Uh, Divine Diablo has played a little bit more. Jerry Hewitt has played a little bit more. Uh, just you can go up and down the roster, and it's like that. It's not necessarily, you know, you don't have those senior leaders, and then you don't have even junior leaders behind that. You're leaning on some sophomores and freshmen that are playing for the very first time. So I, I think that's where he feels better about it. But he's under no delusions that, hey, you know, they're out of the forest at this point, and everything's hunky dory with this team. Uh, you know, they still lost, you know, four games by I think twenty or more points last year, five by double digits, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, you know, there's still a ways to go to get this team back up to be into the competitive spot that they want to be. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> and I think like two big differences between this year's team and last year's, you know, still a very young team, which is good and bad, right? Because that means next year should be that much better, ideally. But, you know, last year there was 77% of the, of the players were freshmen and sophomores, I believe and only 75 scholarship players, you know, with an 85 limit. This year, it seems like everybody, there's maybe one or two more scholarships floating around, um, and just a whole lot of uh, sophomores and juniors with still quite a few redshirt freshmen, but um, I think we're going to be relying less on freshmen this year to kind of to step in. But 
just to kind of hit on that going into the quarterback situation, you know, Ryan Willis, you know, I, I think I think he's going to be the guy. I think it's pretty much locked and loaded. Um, it seems like he's being considered to be really about the third best quarterback in the ACC. Um, I think he has shown flashes of being great. He's got a lot of toughness. Seems like his his teammates really respond well to him. He kind of got a little bit of Brett Favre in there to me. But what are your thoughts on Willis heading into this season? And do you think he's a guy who can really, you know, take this offense to the next level? I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I don't think you're going to look at him. He's going to, you know, win ACC Player of the Year or anything like that. I don't think there's, you know, there's no delusion. The Heisman, yeah, Heisman yeah, probably not going to be that level, but. Uh, you look at the quarterbacks that Fuentes had here, and he's had three different guys throw for 20 or more touchdowns since he's been here. You know, only six guys have done that in Virginia Tech history, and Fuentes had three of them. So I have some faith in this coaching staff to get the most out of the quarterback position, regardless of who's playing the spot. I mean, they just have found guys to be productive there. Uh, I think Willis can be sharper than he was last year in you know some of his throws and his reads and uh, you know, when he's going to choose to run down, when he's going to try to, to make a play, when he's not. I think that's stuff that, you know, you get with experience and, you know, playing with this team and in the offense. Uh, I think the thing that's interesting with Willis in this offense is you look at where the strength of this team is, and it's, it's the receivers and the tight ends on this offense. I mean, uh, Hazleton, Trey Turner, Hezekiah Grimsley, I think Phil Patterson's got talent that he just hasn't quite put everything together, but he's a, a pretty skilled guy there. Uh, some of the freshmen they have coming in, I'm, I'm curious to see them on the field, see how they do. Uh, Dalton Keene at tight end. I think James Mitchell's a guy that uh, can be you know, special is, over time. Absolutely. Is he going to be as good as everybody says? Because you know, he has really been getting a lot of hype. Listen, Fuente doesn't sort of gush over players, but when you talk, you ask him about Mitchell, he just kind of beams about that kid. I, I think he really thinks that they got one there and that he's going to be a pretty special player in time. Uh, you know, maybe that doesn't all show up here in his sophomore year, but you put him and, and Dalton Keene out there in this offense. I mean, that's a lot of targets to throw the ball to. And, you know, I think one thing Willis has shown is an ability to, to spin it. I mean, he can throw it down the field. He can, he can get it to these receivers. I think that's where the strength of this offense is. So in that sense, I think he's a very good quarterback for this. And, you know, that's another reason why I look at Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson and I go – do they have the throwing ability right now at this stage of their careers to really unlock this offense's full potential? And I don't think so. That's why that's why I seem so confident to say, and I think Willis is going to be the starter uh, when the season rolls around. So, you know, I think he can put up pretty good numbers. It's a matter of whether he can be a little more efficient with those numbers this year and, you know, not kind of have those ebbs and flows like you saw last year where uh, it looked like a world beater at one moment and then it looks like he's never thrown a forward pass at the other <laughs> they, yeah. just, they had those stretches yeah. last year where it makes you scratch your head i think if you can you know iron out some of the inconsistencies there that he could have a pretty good year yeah and I, th- I think just being in the system for you know another year and you know he was kind of thrown into the fire there last year you know not expecting to really play um so we'll see how he see how he does and you know it feels like looking past willis that it seems to me that hooker is going to be the backup but that doesn't necessarily mean that Patterson isn't going to play more than Hooker, you know, just with the special packages that they have. Do you think that is tracking correctly, or, or what's your sense for, for Quincy? 
you know, I, I think as you saw in the spring game, he's a, just a different kind of player on the zone reads and the goal line situations as a runner. I mean, he's just, he's a unit. He's like 240 and he's like <laughs> yeah, a he well-built 240. I mean, uh, I couldn't, uh, I just couldn't stop looking at Quincy Patterson photos. He's just a big guy. He's just a big dude. And I, I think huge. that now when you take the red shirt consideration out of the equation, you don't have to worry about when you put him in or how many games or anything like that. I think the the coaches are going to try to use every weapon they have on this offense. And I think he's won in some uh, role. And I, I think that running quarterback role, he probably brings something a little bit different to the game that, than Willis or Hooker possibly could. So uh, as far as the backup quarterback, you know, it could be Hooker. It could be Burmeister, for all I know, if he gets immediate eligibility. Uh, who knows once he gets in here, and you know, how good he can be and how quickly he can pick things up. Uh, but you know, if that, that designation only really comes into play if the starting quarterback gets hurt or has to come, right. come out for a play. And even then they might put in somebody like Quincy just for the, the specific package to kind of, you know, stem the tide until Willis can come back to the game. Yeah. The, uh, the 2020 quarterback competition is going to be fun to watch. Um, cause unless, you know, something happens this year and one of the guys is thrown into the fire and he just reels it in, um, That'll be that'll be something to behold. But, you know, I don't know if this is a, a correct fear to have, but do you remember Blake Bell from Oklahoma? The name does sound familiar. The Belldozer. So he was kind of, yeah, the Belldozer, exactly. So he was this big guy who, I can't remember who the quarterback was at the time that he was subbing in for, you know, big name, whoever it was. But he would basically be put in, in these special, like, goal line situations, and they would just use him to pounded up the middle and he that just became kind of his mo so he was like the tim tebow of college football <laughs> except the tim tebow nfl version yeah. um where all they wanted to do was run with them he did end up playing quarterback his junior year but then they moved him to tight end his senior year quincy patterson's not going to turn into that is he <laughs> i don't think so because like the size of this guy like Huge. he just doesn't look like a quarterback Huge. anymore no, I, I wouldn't think so. I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, it is the passing side of his game coming along. I mean, you have to remember that Quincy got here maybe a year ago. I, I can't remember when he enrolled exactly. It, it seems like these re- yeah, recruits yeah. are in everybody's lives for so long that it feels like he's been here for like three years already. He's been here one calendar year. I mean, that, that is still pretty young in a college right. football career. So I, I think give him some time. Uh, uh, to see what he can do at quarterback and how those passing skills come along. And uh, I think he can be pretty good there. Yeah. And I mean, I, the thing I like about Quincy is he's very honest and upfront because he's like the first one to tell you that he's still a little bit raw, you know, coming out of Chicago, you know, high school football is not really at the same level um, in Chicago as it is um, in other areas with guys that he's competing against. So, you know, hopefully he turns into the guy, um, but do you have a sense of how much they're really going to use him just in like wildcat situations this year? Cause I mean, last year it didn't seem to work at all when they put him on the field. Well, sometimes it did. I think in that UNC game, when they put him in, it kind of gave the, the offense a jolt. Uh, you know, they hadn't really run the ball all that well in that game. If I remember, and, and he churned out a couple first downs there. Uh, there were other times that they put him in, and it just didn't seem kind of have any rhyme or reason why they were doing it. I think maybe against Pittsburgh earlier on in that one, it's like, what are they doing here? It seems like they're maybe killing uh, a little momentum that that the offense might have had. But 
again, uh, they were worried about uh, how many games they were using him last year. So it had to be four. It had to be four or less. Uh, you know, you, you didn't want to. I think it's four or less. I, am I getting that rule, yeah, rule right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had to worry about that, and then it's like, well, when do you put him into the game? And I think they might have a better handle of that this year. And, and certainly, if you get down to the goal line. Uh, I don't think you have somebody quite of the heft of uh, a Stephen Peoples or that sort of hard-nosed sort of bowling ball of a runner. Um, maybe Quincy Patterson can can pick up some of the slack there this year. And here's one of my biggest pet peeves with college football, and specifically these rotation of quarterbacks that you see a lot. There is a trend of these plays not working in college football, and a lot of it is due to these teams that think they're being cute or sneaky by throwing these guys in there and throughout the course of the season never really giving them any consistent pass opportunities out of these formations. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping this year that we'll see maybe letting Quincy do some throwing more often than not too to at least have the threat of the pass, which in theory would open up the run game a little bit for him. So I'm hopeful that's what's going to happen. Um, because you see it too often where these guys only get trotted out and it's, you know, maybe a yard and a cloud of dust and they do it over again. So I'm hoping, you know, we'll at least get to see him throw a little more out of those, uh, those looks. I think that opens up a little more with the more comfort he gets in the system. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I think last year he's still trying to get the, the read down and the handoff and all that stuff. And the, the more comfortable he gets there, the more they're going to allow him to do. So jumping over to the running backs, any update on uh, Tavian Feaster? I know he's supposed to be mid-June for a decision here, and we're kind of in mid-June. So any idea which way he's leaning? No, none yet. Yeah, I know Virginia Tech felt uh, pretty good about his trip and coming up here, but yeah, I think he made a, a unofficial visit to South Carolina at some high school seven-on-seven camp or something like that when he was mm. there. He obviously has a familiarity with that because he's from South Carolina. Uh, I had heard he, he was still considering visiting Texas uh, before he made any kind of decision. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's actually gotten into the mind of Feaster or talked to him all that much after some of these trips to see kind of which way he's leaning. Uh, but there's still a lot of competition out there. I think even Oklahoma might be a consideration. When Texas and Oklahoma are still in the picture – yeah, that's tough to beat. That said, I, I haven't really looked. I haven't really looked at their situations at running back. And if he's looking for carries, I I don't know if there's a much better situation than the Hokies. No. Or a better uh, I mean, better schedule to run against either. Yeah, I mean it's it seems like it's a place that he would have a great opportunity, uh, and and maybe not sure. have a, a a whole bunch of guys he's competing with for for top rep, uh, uh, top number of carries, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly where it's going. You know, he's still got time to sort of let this thing play out and, and, and pick a school where he wants to go. Do you think he'd be the biggest running back recruit we've landed since David Wilson? Even coming from another program? Possibly. Uh, you know, Trey Edmonds was a pretty well-regarded recruit. I don't, I mean, he wasn't number 29 in the country or number one tailback, whatever Tavian Feaster was when he was coming out of high school. Uh, I, I think he would be a pretty touted guy, but after three years where he's had, uh, what is it, like 1,400 yards at Clemson, where he's never really had this truly like breakout season, I guess uh, you know some of the shine has come off that recruiting thing. But I, I strictly going by uh, you know the recruiting rankings, he'd be one of the top recruits uh, that Virginia Tech's ever had come in here 
uh, from that profile. But again, we're, we're three years removed from that player when people were looking at that snapshot of his career. So it's a little bit weird to compare it uh, in that sense. I'll say this. I think he'd be a very nice addition uh, to, to the offense if he were to come here. So let's say he doesn't come here. What are the Hokies looking at from a you know, workload split because you've got Deshaun McLeese and Jalen Holston who seem like the two the two guys that would be, you know, ready to carry the load. Can Jalen Holston hold up for an entire season? No, that's to be determined. I, I think it's a question with McLeese too. McLeese, you know, McLeese has had uh, nice. injuries, been beaten up a little bit over the years. Uh, I think those are the, the one and one A at this point. I'm not sure really in what order. Uh, I think a guy coming in, Keyshawn King, could be really interesting in that freshman class. I know, uh, you know, he was their second option after Devin Ford picked Penn State last year. Uh, yep. And, you know, running back is a position where, you know, it's not like offensive line where you, you pretty much have to have guys red shirt and get stronger and get used to the physicality of college. You, you see running backs step in right away because a lot of it is the same stuff they were doing in, in high school. It's vision and hitting a hole and, you know, you know maybe there's some high and tight ball carrying techniques that you need to work on like that. But uh, you see running backs contribute quicker a lot in college football than a lot of other positions. So uh, I would go in thinking McLeese and Holston, it's going to be a, a pretty good split between those two. Maybe even somebody like Caleb Stewart could get into the, the conversation. Terrius Wheatley, who's coming off an injury last year. I don't think there's any one guy that's going to get a ton of carries. And because that's the case, I think, you know, a freshman like King could certainly compete for the uh, a bigger workload there. Maybe a little Cole Beck, Andy? Maybe. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly. How, <laughs> I don't exactly know how he's going to fit into the plans. Obviously, missing it in the spring uh, is not going to help his development as a running no, back. It won't. But it won't. I, I have to think with somebody who was, uh, what was he, fourth in the ACC in the 100, third? I can't even remember what it was. He, he's run the third fastest 100 time in Virginia Tech history. Uh, yeah, I feel incredible. like I feel like there has has to be some role that you can put him on this on. team on the football field that could Beamer take ball. Beamer ball. Let's if it's go. a you know the, they always run the jet sweep, I feel yeah. like that yep. is a, a real threat. Even if they don't give him the ball, I think people have to respect that. So, sure. Uh, yeah, I think he could find a niche role. I don't think you're going to see him you know get 200 carries this year. Let's put there it that way. And we just pleased, I think, 100% of our listeners by talking about Cole Beck for 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how important do you think the rushing game really is to this offense? Because if you, if you look at Virginia Tech rushing over the last, let's say, six years, the Fuente era has been much better. You know, it's ranked in the mid-50s nationally compared to the 80s and 90s previously. But... Fuente's only ever had one guy reach over a thousand yards rushing. Do you think the rushing game is something that is really that critical to the success of what Virginia Tech and not necessarily just Virginia Tech, but a Justin Fuente offense? I think it is just not in the way that Virginia Tech fans are used to. I think for the longest time, Hokies fans just saw, you know, who's this year's thousand yard rusher and who's going to be the next year's thousand yard rusher. And they, you know, it was an assembly line of guys for a long yeah. time there. Sometimes two in the same year that would get up close to and over a thousand yards. Obviously the, the Lee Suggs, Kevin Jones combination that they had. And you know, that one year they had Darren Evans, Ryan Williams and David Wilson. I'm just 
Yeah, that was that's not ancient history. I mean, that's not that long no. ago uh, to, to think that all three of those guys were in the same backfield. Uh, you know, Justin Fuente's offenses back when he was the coordinator at TCU. I think one year they were the like fifth best rushing offense in the country. And obviously, there's a schedule factor. They were playing in the Mountain West at the time, whatever it was that TCU was in. Uh, they didn't play the top-notch competition, but, I mean, they turned out yards. Not necessarily all one guy getting 1,000 yards, and maybe that's why it looks like uh, the rushing game hasn't been a big part of his offense. But, you know, they turned out yards, whether it was a, a variety of backs or the quarterback doing it, or, you know, the Paxton Lynch was a pretty capable runner uh, back there. Andy Dalton could move around and run, even though he doesn't look like he'd be a guy that could run that well. Uh but I think everything works better if the rushing game is working. And it may not be a 1,000-yard rusher, but if they're getting that that yards per carry average up there, or if they're rushing for a lot of yards in a game, even if it takes a bunch of carries, I think their offense is better as a result of that. So it opens up things in the past, like like every offense. You build off play action, and you know defenses have to respect that and commit more guys to the run. That opens up things down the field. But... Uh, you know, I, I think you look at the way these these offenses have succeeded, and it's been more pass oriented than rushing uh, the first couple of years here. But I think, you know, if it was Fuente's preference that they would run the ball better than they have, and they would they could be able to sort of lean on that first, and then build off the pass off of that. I, I think that's the way they would like to operate. Even though it'd still be, they, you know, in an ideal world, it'd still be kind of a, a pretty good balance between the two. For sure. And, you know, we've hit on the receivers a bit. You know, I'm really looking forward to to Trey Turner this year. But that offensive line, so what is your sense of the offensive line right now? And let's assume Brock Hoffman is is the guy that we'll have starting at center. What do you think we should expect? Like, is it going to be an offensive line that dominates, or is it an offensive line that's going to be able to at least, you know, succeed and play consistently throughout the season? You know, I, I don't think it's one that dominates because it, it's still pretty young. I mean, the most experienced guy, you know, outside of Hoffman on that line is Christian Derrissaw. And he was a true freshman last year, started 12 games. So you don't have some guy there that started 30-plus games like a Kyle Chung or something like that. But I think they're finally getting some guys in there that they have recruited and have the athleticism and the ability to sort of get out there and move and – the, a little bit better, and some of those guys are coming up the ranks. So you got Darisaw at left tackle. You got uh, Silas Janzi at right tackle. I think they really like Lasita Smith at left guard. Uh, you know, Zach Hoyt could be center or guard. John Harris is coming up. I think they like him as a guard. Uh, and then you know, there's all these freshmen that are coming in that you know I would think are going to redshirt, but at the same time, somebody like Doug Nestor as uh, the highest ranked recruit they've ever had on the offensive line, or right. one of them. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's possible that maybe he pushes for playing time. I, I still would lean towards a red shirt just because historically they they never really have had that guy come straight from high school and have a major role on the offensive line in that very first year. Uh, maybe you, you probably have to go back as far as like Jim Pine. And even then, I think he had a prep year between high school and, and getting to college. So uh, I think you could see some things that could be pretty good on the offensive line. I, I go back to that the bowl game last year where uh, I think the starting lineup was Derrissaw and Janzi at tackle. You had Lasita Smith at left guard. And I I can't remember if Hoyt started at center or if he came in. 
he played some of that game, whatever it was. So you had a lot of this unit that was out there, and they ran for a really good number of yards. They moved the ball pretty well on the ground against what was a pretty good Cincinnati defense in that game. So I think that is the hope that the the coaches and the Hokies fans have, is that they see that, they go, that's sort of a, a sign of maybe things could be pretty good on this offensive line. At the same time, there's just not a lot of experience there. That's one of the reasons they went and they tried to get Hoffman uh, for this immediate eligibility too, because he's a guy that even though he's at Coastal Carolina has started two years, he's been a guy that's, that's been in sure. some game action before. So uh, that's sort of the, what they were looking to bring into here to, to add to this line and sort of have that veteran presence as an anchor in the center of it. And, you know, that's why it would be such a big deal if he got approved for immediate eligibility. All of a sudden you have that experience in there. Minus that, you're, you're working with guys, you know, five guys that'll be out there that none of them have started more than a full season. So, I mean, it seems like to me, and it's, it sounds like it seems like to you, the Hokies should have a pretty good year offensively this year. I think so. I, I think, uh, let's just say I feel better about the offense's outlook than the defense's at this point. Yeah. Just one last thing from an offensive standpoint. Uh, kicker. You know, that's a position where I'm starting to feel real concerned that we're going to have a Chicago Bears-like situation on our hands. Yeah, it's not a settled spot. Uh, you know, I will say that I think Brian Johnson is better than what the spring game showed. I think he just had a really bad day in that. And, uh, you know, everybody sees Jordan Stout transfer, and they go, oh, why didn't they make him the starting kicker? My understanding is that Johnson outperformed Stout for the duration of spring. and Not in the spring game necessarily. Stout was the better kicker there. But I think on a day-to-day basis throughout the, the duration of, of spring practice that Johnson was the better guy there. So I don't know what if that speaks well to the competition because Johnson wasn't that great last year, certainly on field goals once you get longer than 40 yards. Uh, but it's a concern, especially on a team that, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of coin flip games this year or close games, tight games that you have to pull out by, by just doing one extra thing there. And if you're missing a lot of field goals or can't rely on a field goal kicker there, that could rear its ugly head at, at the wrong time of the year. So I'm not sure exactly the competition they have coming in because a lot of them are walk-ons. You never quite know how that plays out. Uh, but they need to be better at kicker. And right now I'd say that's a, a position of concern. Uh, so defensively, you know, this is a unit comes in a lot of questions, but at least much more experience this year than, than they had last year. So starting with the defensive line, which I feel like is maybe outside a cornerback, you know, it's a coin flip as to which of, uh, these units is the bigger question mark, you know, is, is Jared Hewitt ready to step in and, and be the guy vocally? Perhaps. Uh, I think he's sort of taken over that role quite well. He's sort of the guy that gets the defense fired up, you know, speaks for the defense, is, is a guy other guys can look to. Uh, Production-wise, he needs to up his game quite a bit to get even in the neighborhood of a Ricky Walker. Uh, I think that's where you're going to feel the most hurt on this team. Is I, I know Ricky Walker didn't put up great stats last year, but he also got a lot of attention from other teams' offenses in terms of double teams and and stuff like that because he was really the only guy that you had to worry about too much on that defensive line. So all of a sudden you lose that, you know, who in that defensive line do you have to worry about just off the bat? I mean, before, a couple of years ago, you had Tim Settle and Ricky Walker in the defensive tackle spots, and now you have Jared Hewitt, who I think last year had – 
you know, one half tackle for a loss or something like that, and, 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 and like 15 tackles. It, it wasn't some outrageous number of, of tackles and disruption. And then the other spot is, you know, is it uh, Rob Porsche? Is it Deshaun Crawford? Is the a junior college transfer? I don't know who the other spot is at this point. So that's a big question mark. Uh, you know, probably Belmar and Taiwan Garbutt at this moment at the end spots. Uh, with some younger guys coming up the ranks that maybe could – to do a bit, little bit better, but you know, haven't done it in games so far. So I think just across the board, there's, there's major question marks on the, that defensive line. Where, you know, a couple of years ago, you're looking at having a line of Tim Settle, Ricky Walker, Trayvon Hill, uh, Vinny Mahota, Houshin Gaines that kind of stepped up. I mean, there are a lot more sure things on that defensive line or reliable guys that you, you didn't have to worry so much about. For sure. And you're hoping guys like Deshaun Crawford, Jaden Cunningham, two, you know, JUCO guys can come in and, and provide a boost. And, you know, one guy, I, I love his name. I don't even know if I'm going to say it right, but Josh Fuga, you know, freshman, big dude, 6'2", 303 pounds. Um, you know, he could be a guy who, who steps in and plays if, if needed. Oh, he's going to have to. He's going to have to. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you think yeah, he, Fuentes you think already said those young guys are going to have to play. Because they just have so much uncertainty, and okay. of the freshmen that are coming in, Fuga is the only one who is size ready. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, Mario Kendricks and uh, the other freshman whose name is escaping me right now. I think they have some size. Norrell Pollard. I think That's they right. both have to yep. add some size before you can expect them to hold their own in the middle. Where Fuga comes in at three hundred pounds, you know, we'll see how well he moves and stuff like that, but. He's not going to be disqualified just because he's 260 pounds sure. right now. Let's sure. put it that way. And with sort of the uncertainty there, you know, I think there's some question of whether Jaden Cunningham qualifies coming out of junior college at this point. I don't think he's here at this point, and he's kind of a guy they're waiting on to see if he does get in. Just so much uncertainty, even you know, especially once you get past Jared Hewitt, but even including Hewitt, how good he's going to be there. I think that's sort of the the one position group. Uh, on this defense that you have the most question marks about. What about uh Hushan Gaines status? So, you know, coming back from that ACL injury, you know, there's been murmurs on the message boards about some other things around his, his status. Have you heard anything regarding him and his eligibility for this year? Yeah. It, it sounds like it might be up in the air. You know, he's coming off the injury for one thing in November. It was an ACL injury. And you saw Vinny Mahota come back and just never was right. himself last year. Now, granted, Vinny had to put on 40 more pounds to play tackle, so you're factoring that in. And Houshin is a much lighter guy. But you also have to think about you know what he went through last year. And uh, you know he's 20, 21 years old. His mom died sort of unexpectedly. It kind of came up on the family quickly during the course of the season. It's just a lot of stuff for somebody that age uh, to deal with. So I, you know, I don't know right now what his status will be going forward i would say this at this point that i would imagine that garbage is the starter at the beginning of the year and i think they're kind of looking at in that direction but you know we'll see and i think what you can get out of gains this year might be a bon- considered a bonus at this point but i don't know if you can necessarily pencil man and go hey you're counting on him to be a big contributor right okay so kind of jumping over to linebacker i think probably one of the units i'm most excited about at least you know rayshard ashby you know this guy's just a tackling machine you know he's all over the field basically like the quarterback of the defense at that mic position but you know i wanted to talk about what i think is a little bit of a love affair 
Dax Holyfield, and Bud <laughs> Foster. And so it just seems to me, on the outside looking in, that just Foster has a little bit of a twinkle in his eye for Dax Holyfield. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I, the, I mean, you know, Fuente mentioned it when you know Dax was being recruited here is that he made like twenty some trips <laughs> up to Virginia Tech. He's like nobody in Virginia Tech history knows more about being recruited than Dax Holyfield because he he, he made so many trips up here on his own, just unofficial visits and just kind of hung out all the time. Uh, So I feel like he knows these coaches pretty well, even though he's only entering his sophomore season. And that's certainly the case with Bud Foster that, you know, not only is he a a great player on the defense, Holyfield is, but he plays linebacker. He plays those inside linebacker spots that Bud coaches. So I think that the attitude – uh, you know, Dax just comes across as a very enthusiastic and high achievement guy. Uh, I think it's just sort of the perfect marriage of those two that they, they do get along very famously. What about uh, Dylan Rivers? So, you know, he's a guy who fairly big recruit, some hype, uh, banged up last year. But when he was on the field, it just he looked very slow. It looked like relative to everybody else on the field, he was almost kind of moving in quicksand at times was that because of the injury or is that more of an ability concern or you know what what should we expect out of rivers this this season you know i'm not quite sure i I think the interesting thing to remember with rivers is that you know dax hollyfield didn't become a starter until rivers got hurt in that georgia georgia tech game just emerged uh you know i think there were times last year where hollyfield absolutely slow uh, I think that was part of the reason why he, he lost a bunch of weight in the offseason. and he wanted to be quicker to play that backer spot. And, uh, you know, Rivers came up big in that uh, bowl game. I, I think he played most yeah. of the fourth quarter. He had that interception that, that quite honestly could have been the, the tide turner in the game if they could have punched it into the end zone there. It's sort of a play that gets forgotten at this point because uh, they didn't score and turned it over there on downs. But, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what he can be this year, Dylan Rivers, that is. Because, you know, like you mentioned, he was a pretty sought-after recruit. He was a guy that they flipped from Penn State. Uh, there was, was a high four-star guy that everybody was really excited about. And, you know, things seemed to be going along, you know, pretty well in his development until he got hurt. Uh, I'd be curious to see, you know, what kind of rotation they might have at linebacker. Historically, Bud has not really rotated those linebackers a whole lot he's just kind of had his two guys and he's played them the whole time but I wonder if this might be a situation where the talent level of those three is close enough and you know Dax having the versatility to play both linebacker spots that you know maybe you could rotate them a little bit more and keep them fresh and and have more of a role with three guys than two but uh it's, it's certainly a position group that, that I'm interested in seeing how that whole thing yeah, plays out and I out. think talent wise is probably the uh most talent rich position on that defensive side of the ball um, so it's nice to go into one of those position groups saying we have three guys that we know can probably start and play at a pretty good level, and hopefully that competition will fuel them to to be really successful. But I, I'm pretty excited to see what Dax is able to do, and we kind of know what we have with Ashby, and, and I think Rivers is going to push both of those guys. So it'll be really great to see how that shakes out. What it's about, certainly uh, it's certainly a better situation absolutely. than last year, where you know this year they. This year, they don't have any seniors. Last year, they didn't have any juniors or seniors right. at the linebacker. Right. That's how ridiculously young that group was. So uh, it's a little bit older, but you're still not uh, talking about a, a truly no, veteran no, group. No, not yet. Not yet. What about Amari Barno? So he's a guy who, coming in, you've you know hesitantly compared him to 
Tremaine Edwin Edmonds, but what should we expect out of him this season? I'm not really sure because you know, you know physically, like you said, he does kind of remind you of Edmonds. I think he's like a six five, six six, yeah. two hundred and twenty some pound guy. You know, you see his like highlight uh, clips from junior college, and he can move. Like he can get around the field and. And, you know, he makes plays in space and he can go sideline to sideline. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how he fits in this whole picture. He might be somebody that's more of that, you know, athletic backer that can that can move like that. And is, a, you know, I think that was the concern last year with Holyfield is that, you know, he, or Holyfield is he's a little, you know, too slow at times or couldn't keep up with some of the, the running backs coming out of the backfield. I wonder if a guy like Barno could. Uh, I also wonder if he could be sort of an edge rusher. Yeah. Somebody like that. I, I thought when he initially signed that that would be more of a spot that he, they might fit him in just because I looked at his his measurements and assumed that would be the case. But then it seems like they're, they're looking in more of that backer spot. But uh, I, I think just the more options that Bud Foster has, the, the better shape he'll be in. Because you know, last year they didn't have many. Right. They, they were going to stuck with the guys they had because they didn't have any experience anywhere else. Uh, with Barno, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what kind of uh, role he carves out with this team because, you know, there are some more established guys and some starting spots there. Yeah, and they know better than me, obviously. But when I see that, I see a guy that could potentially give us a spark off the edge that we don't currently have. And that's something that concerns me a little bit. He's 20 pounds away from being a pretty good proxy to Dottie Nicholas. So if maybe he will start to develop in that direction. And if he does, I think he could give us an edge there. But you know, seeing a guy six six being able to drop in pass coverage too would be would be kind of cool to see. So he's one I'd like to keep an eye on for sure. And physically, I mean, you'd love to see how a guy like that develops. Well, I think that was one thing with Edmonds that they maybe didn't do as much as they would have liked as him in the pass rush situation where he gets down at a defensive end. Yeah. Uh, I think they, it was their 30 package or something like that uh, where they could have let him loose getting after the cornerback. Uh, you know, maybe that's something they could do more with Barno. I don't know what his skill set is sure. like. That I, I have obviously haven't seen enough of him to understand that, but I'm, I'm sure Bud has some some ideas cooking in his head right now. Absolutely. Uh, so kind of staying on that side of the or we're gonna stay on that side of the ball, but more of a hyper role in this defense, the rover position. You know, Khalil Ladler. I'm not sure he played it all this spring. If he did, he was he was limited, but. You know, Shamari Connor's a guy who got some looks. Is is he somebody who can push Ladler to to start and maybe Ladler moves somewhere else on the defense, or do you think he's pretty much got that spot locked up? You know, that whip spot is interesting. I, I I'm not sure exactly who emerges there. And you know, I thought Ladler played pretty well, all things considered, in his first year in the role last year. And it it's sort of you know, it's listed as a linebacker, but it's really more of a nickel spot, so you, you have to have that hybrid skill set to be able to tackle somebody in the box and cover a receiver or a, a tight end coming out of the backfield as well. Uh, I know they liked Connor in, in the spring, and he's a little bit bigger guy than, than what Ladler is, uh, both in height and weight. Uh, sort of maybe that brings something different to the position, but you know I think Ladler has a cornerback background, or at least he was a cornerback initially when he came in here. They moved him to safety, and now he's at whip. Uh, I think it could be a situation where you see both of them. Uh, sort of depending on what the offensive package is and who might be better in a certain role. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to, to say that one guy is definitely ahead of the other at this point, but uh, you know, Connor was there in the spring, but Ladler was hurt. Ladler started last year, but I think Connor has perhaps more upside there. Uh, 
Uh, again, it comes back to just having more options. I mean, last year they had Ladler, and then Devin Hunter didn't work out at the position and ended up redshirting, and they didn't really have anybody else. So uh, at least this year, if, if something's not working or they want to have a different look out there, they have some guys that they can put into that spot. Sure. And I, I think kind of moving back into the back half of that defense into the safety spot, that to me is probably the most sure position um, as far as like locks go for starters with Reggie Floyd and Divine Diablo. But what should we expect from Devin Hunter? Because, you know, we talk about Dylan Rivers and he was a big time recruit. Like Devin Hunter was one of the biggest recruits we had in quite some time. And he really hasn't done much of anything uh, since he's since he's been here. He's moved around quite a bit, hasn't really found a role. Now he's backing up Floyd this year. Should we feel comfortable that he's going to be able to assume that role when Floyd graduate graduates after the season? Well, I think the coaches feel like that's the role for him. And, uh, you know, when he was a freshman, there wasn't really, you know, he was very young and maybe not quite ready for action right away. Whereas, yeah, I think some people look at his recruiting ranking and just assume that those guys are ready to play right away. And sometimes they're just not, uh, you know, then his second year here, they move his position uh, he goes from rover to whip linebacker, and he, he just didn't really seem suited to that. I don't know if it was a comfort thing or what exactly it was. It didn't quite seem like what he was playing in high school or just it, whatever it was, it didn't work out. So that was sort of a lost year for him as well. And now he's back at rover as a backup, and you know he's going to get through his redshirt sophomore year, I would think, not really having a major role here. I think a lot of people look at that and go, oh, man, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, I think a lot of times it just takes a while for a guy to, to find a spot and have an opportunity, too. I mean, he's, I doubt he's going to supplant Reggie Floyd this year. I mean, Reggie Floyd is uh, you know, one of the most experienced guys in this defense. Uh, maybe he gets right. a little bit of uh, playing time in there, but I, I just can't see any scenario where he beats out Reggie Floyd or is all of a sudden is playing major snaps in the game, barring injury. You know, an injury changes the, the calculus with that whole thing. But, uh, you know... If he doesn't start until he's a redshirt junior at Virginia Tech, it might be later than a lot of people expected, but I don't think that necessarily means that he can't be good or he can't sure. still be a really good player when he's here. I mean, sometimes it just takes a while for these guys to, to really, for things to click and for an opportunity to come open to, to allow them to click at that spot. So uh, I'm not ready to close the book on Devin Hunter quite yet. I, I, he, I would not put him in the same camp as like a Holland Fisher where they kind of moved him around oh. too, but he had all sorts yeah. of other issues that, sure. you know, just didn't, did, did, did he didn't even pan play a out. Snap? I don't think he ever played a snap for the Hokies. I think, he did. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think the coaches like everything about how uh, Devin is going about his business and his attitude with everything. And, uh, you know, the playing time just hasn't worked yet, but that doesn't mean it can't. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's, there's guys that like Greg Stroman is a guy I love to point to because he played a lot in his first two years as freshman and, and sophomore, and he didn't have that redshirt season. And he struggled mightily at times. And I look at a guy like Caleb Far Farley, who was true freshman last year, uh, definitely had his struggles, um, didn't struggle as bad as Bryce Watts, but I'm convinced he's a guy that by the end of his career as a Hokie, he's go going to be one of those banner-waving DBU guys that, you know, everybody loves to to point to as, you know, one of the anchors of the program. What do you think his development has been so far, and do you think he's kind of on the right path to 
to be one of the leaders of the defense? Caleb Farley? Yes. Yeah, I, I think he's got a chance to, to make a, a, a big step forward this year. Uh, I think you have to remember last year that it was really his first full year playing quarterback. Uh, right. he, he never did it in high school. He was a quarterback. He was always used to the ball in his hands. They had him dabble a little bit of it that first spring, but then he switched over to receiver, and he was all ready to play receiver, and then he tears his ACL in the first practice of August, and then he comes back the following winter as a defensive back. And so that's really his first like year of experiencing the position and, and the ins and outs of playing there and all the intricacies that come with it. So, you know, I would expect some struggles there. And I, I didn't think that they thought he would have that big of a role initially because, you know, you lose Stroman and Faison after uh, the 2017 season. Uh, you're expecting Adonis Alexander and Jeremy Webb probably to be your two starting quarterbacks. And if that's, if that's the case, then you can bring Caleb Farley and Bryce Watts along a little bit slower. Uh, you can put them into the game and get them used to, to playing the position like that. Uh, then all of a sudden you lose both of those guys and then Farley and Watts are the starters and there's nobody behind them with any kind of experience other than Quillen, who's, who was really more of a special teams player to that point in his career. So uh, I think everything about Farley just got accelerated way too much last year where it just got thrown on him out of necessity. And, he, sure. you know, he probably struggled at times because of that. That said, he's the fastest guy on the team. Uh, you know, that's verified at this point. They have these uh, GPS sensors. I'm actually doing a story on it right now. Faster uh, than Beck? He's uh, Well, Beck wasn't there in the spring. So, yeah, I, I guess that should be uh, a disclaimer I mean, on you that. Have a little competition in the summer. Well, they, they had it on – they put it in some <laughs> yeah. players last year in games, and they said that Farley was running 24.16 miles per hour at one point of the Notre Dame game. Wow. That's uh, crazy. If, yeah, that's if it's the Notre Dame game, then the downside of that is that he was probably yeah, chasing, was chasing after a running back yeah. trying to tackle him. <laughs> it's probably on that 97-yard touchdown run that he was trying to chase after him. But, you know, that's that's that, that's that, running yeah. that fast yeah. in pads. Uh, so, you know, he's a pretty fast guy. Yeah. So he's a verified fast guy. Uh, I think as the more he plays cornerback, the more he gets used to that spot, the better he'll be, obviously. I don't know if that means he's going to be one of the greats, at, at, at Virginia Tech because that's a pretty elite class to get into here. But uh, I would say that this coaching staff and, and Bud Foster in particular usually has a pretty good eye uh, for talent and guys that are going to pan out. Yeah, so the other cornerback position, you know, it's it's an interesting scenario. You've got Nadir Thompson um, with the Bryce Watts vacancy. We've got a guy in Jeremy Webb who's really intriguing because – He's coming off about as severe of an injury as you can expect. Not just one, but two Achilles injuries in both legs. I don't know what we should expect out of this guy, but what do you think Jeremy Webb can do for the defense right away this season? Or is it somebody? Is he somebody that we're going to have to maybe wait and see a little bit later on as the season progresses? Uh, I think you, you definitely have to wait and see exactly what you got. I don't know how long that'll take. I mean, they're expecting him to be fully cleared by the start of fall camp or the start of August camp. Uh, I don't know physically how quickly you come back from something like that. I, I don't know if once you get cleared, how quickly you can get back to like a game speed. Cause obviously there's a difference between just running, you know, unhindered for the first time and, and then, you know, going out and playing a football game and, 
there's obviously a huge question of how much he can hold up over the course of a season. Uh, when you've had two injuries to, to both legs like that, uh, you know, I just don't know how it works. I don't think a lot of guys have come back from two injuries like that. So you're sort of entering no man's land uh, in terms of an understanding of, of what a guy is capable of. That said, it, you know, he's a sick, he's like a legit six, four cornerback that, uh, it's huge. Yeah. It sounds like all the other cornerbacks just, you know, look up to him in everything that he does. Like just a consummate leader for that group. He has played a little bit of football before at the junior college level. So, you know, it's not like he'd be a complete newbie out there when he's doing stuff. And, as we've mentioned before, this is not a secondary, especially the cornerback crew, that has a whole bunch of experience. So whatever experience you can throw out there, I think they're going to lean on quite a bit. If he's healthy and he can play, it would not surprise me if he could seize the starting spot eventually. I just, I, at this point, I don't know if anybody knows exactly how he'll hold up physically. Who do you, who do you think wraps at that other spot? Well, I think it's Farley and, and I, you know, I think the start – the year I would expect Quillen to be in there. I would expect Chapman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Thompson, once he gets, I, I don't know quite when they're going to give him the full go. Cause he's coming off an ACL tear too. Uh, he'll be in there. Jermaine Waller. I think, you know, he had the big hit in the spring game. I, you know, I, I think this year you might not just see, Oh, here's one starting corner and another. I think it might be a case where, they rotate a lot of guys in there, and, and maybe it's easier for a cornerback to play, uh, you know, forty snaps in the game as opposed to eighty. Especially if you're bringing them along like this, and especially if there's not that huge of a difference between their their level of play. So maybe if you can narrow that focus of what they have to pay attention to in a given game, and how many sna- how many reps they're worried about and snaps they they have to be locked in for, maybe that can carry this group through. But uh, I, I think it's going to be an improved situation from last year because at least these guys have had a little bit of a taste of action before. They've gotten out there. Uh, they're not wide-eyed as you know true freshmen like a lot of them were last year. Uh, so I think that changes a little bit, but it's still not an experienced group. So <clears throat> overall, I mean, what are, what are you what are you expecting out of this defense? Out of this defense, it's tough to say because uh, I. <laughs> They were okay at times last year. They just could not prevent the big plays. And the big plays were huge plays. I mean, they were, like I said, yeah. would they have like like, like three or four 90-yard runs against them? I mean, it was absurd. It was I think painful. they had like half of the... They had like half of the 90-yard runs <laughs> against them in all of college football. It was in just insane to see the kind of big plays they were giving up. And, uh, you know, I think that... That big plays that they gave up is the one that I mean, if they can shut that down and just keep that number low, I think they were pretty good on, on standard downs and, and things like that. Uh, maybe not pretty good, but they were not horrible like they were in allowing big plays last year. I just think that, you know, what is the more likely scenario in this defense last year is that just an unprecedented level of attrition and youth and inexperience all caught up to this defense at once. And they fell from number five in the country, whatever they were, to, you know, I don't even know what they ended up ranked, 100th or whatever they were last year. Or Bud Foster just completely forgot how to coach in this, his 35th year of co- I mean, it's more likely to be the former than the latter there. I think Bud still knows a thing or two about defense. I think if he has a group that's a little more experienced and maybe a little deeper, 
that he can rely on and a little bit more pieces to work with that he can probably put a decent product on the field. I don't think it's going to get back to top 20 overnight. I think it takes a while to build up those kind of special kind of players that would uh, do that kind of defense. But, you know, I think even a moderate improvement on defense would be enormous for this team, especially if the offense could be pretty good. Sure. And then just kind of like, you know, not going to focus too much on the schedule. I mean, it's June, right? So you still got summer to go through and everything like that. But, you know, this schedule for the Hokies, it's it's ranked the easiest in the ACC. And their three toughest games really come on the road if you look at Miami, Notre Dame, and, and UVA. You know, and that's today. What is it? June 20th is Thursday. That's when this will this will drop. I think that Boston College game is, is huge for this uh, for this team to get off on the right foot and to kind of, you know, reset the tone for what to expect in 2019, specifically because, you know, Boston College beat them last year. So to go on the road, you know, open it up with a win on the ACC network, I think would be would be nice. What do you what do you think realistic wise we should expect from the Hokies record wise for 2019? You know, I'd probably put them at 8 and 4 which would be, you know, two-game improvement in the regular season. Uh, you know, I think some people might look at the schedule and go, that's it? And I go, so well, they did lose a bunch Herman of games. Rhode by Rhode Island, possible losses? Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, as you mentioned, like, oh, the Boston College opener is, is huge. And, 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 yeah, I'd agree this year. It probably is a pretty big game. But we also said last year that Florida State was enormous. Right. And then they win that one and it doesn't matter. Nobody would have said Old Dominion is going to be one of your toughest games last year. I mean, it's just, sure. it's amazing when you look back at this stuff in hindsight, just, you know, how wrong it is every off season, uh, trying to predict this stuff ahead of time. Uh, but, you know, I, I put them in the eight and four range. I, I think this was a team that not only lost a bunch of games last year, but was not especially competitive in a lot of games. I mean, I, I know it was closer than, than some of those scores indicated, but when you lose by 20 plus points, uh, four times. Oh yeah, I think it's four times. I keep saying four times. I should probably go back and check to make sure it was four times. <laughs> it, was, it was probably like uh, four times in a row at home. Yeah, it, it was part check they, on this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had the Notre Dame loss. They had the the Georgia Tech loss, the BC loss, the Miami loss. I think those are the in the pit uh, loss. BC 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 the pit loss. That's what I meant. Pit yeah. not BC. Right, right. Uh, so they had a bunch of blowout losses. And they had a couple more that were, you know, BC, I think, was a 10-point loss. ODU was obviously – so the games they lost weren't like, you know, they were a field goal away or something like that. They didn't just lose a bunch of 50-50 games, coin flips, that they just happened to lose. Right. Uh, so there's some improvement that needs to get there just so that they're right at that spot where you can start to win some of those close games. So that's why I think, uh, you know, I say 8-4 – and four, I think Miami's tough. I, th- I think Notre Dame obviously is tough. I think there's some other, you know, Virginia this year is going to be a really tough game. I, I know a lot of people, a lot of people don't want to give Virginia that credit, but I look at that team and especially if Bryce Perkins can stay healthy, that's one that can con- contend in the coastal division. Uh, and then that's there's true. all sorts of other games that just, you know, Pitt just historically has been a tough team against them. Uh, yeah, going up to BC. I know it's the opener, and BC's got a new offensive coordinator and lost a bunch of guys on defense. But that's just a, a physical, tough game and a venue that you know has not always been the easiest for the Hokies to play in. Um, I would imagine they wouldn't have much trouble with North Carolina and Duke at home. But you know, then again, some of those times those games surprise you. So you never really know how things are going to play out over the season. But you know, I, I'll go in saying eight and four. 
Uh, you know, I could see them doing better than that. If they do worse than that, I, I maybe would be surprised. Maybe that would be a little bit worrisome if you're a Hokies fan looking at, at this team performing on this schedule. But uh, I'm certainly not one of those people out there that's going, oh, they got to go 10-2 and two against this schedule just because it's so easy. I, I think this team has some improvement to do before you can start thinking about that. Yeah, no question. Well, if we uh, if we have another uh, double overtime six to three game against Wake Forest, I'm, I'm <laughs> probably going to lose it. But you know, yeah. to be honest, like I think there's a good chance they they win nine games. I Ten games would be a stretch, um, just because you're expecting them to beat everybody that is not, you know, Miami, Notre Dame, or UVA. Um, right now I'm going to give benefit of the doubt to Miami, you know, just because they've beaten us four out of the last five years. And then Notre Dame, that would be a really tough game. I plan on going to that short drive over, but you know, the UVA game until I actually see it with my, you know, <laughs> 16 year older eyes, you know, yeah. the last time Matt Schaub and Heath Miller were on the field, you know, that's, that's going to be a win until until proven otherwise but i don't know i mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun season like it's impossible to talk about like a uva game that's the last game of the season you know on june 20th but uh but yeah i mean i think realistically it's miami uva and virginia tech fighting for that coastal division title to go play clemson in the acc championship i would think so those would be the three teams that i would pick up there uh, certainly with how much Pitt lost from last year. And, and even then, Pitt was a 7-7 seven and seven team. Yeah. It's not like it was some, no. <laughs> some great Pitt team that was just rolling over people other than the Hokies exactly. that one day. Yeah, basically nobody wanted to win the Coastal last year. That's how, no. that's yeah. how bad it was. <laughs> so, Andy, we'll wrap this up with a little bit of a fun rapid fire. So, first thing that comes to mind, and we'll just go from there. So, later this okay. summer... We're going to name the all-ACC names team, so the best names across the ACC. Outside of Storm Duck, because I can already guarantee you he's going to be on the team. <laughs> Any nominees from you? On the From the ACC, see, I don't know the rosters up and down that well. I mean, Divine Diablo has to be on there. Has right? to be. Has yeah. to be. That's, That's first team. Yeah, that's one of the best names I think I've ever heard of yeah. out there, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Without having like a list of the other rosters in front of me, it's tough to come up with some just uh, off the top of my head. But Divine, Divine Diablo has got to be oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, number one or number two on the list. Oh, yeah, okay. for sure. So you can you, you can tweet us as you as you think of some. We're not. We're not <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll we'll go through the Aflon magazine here in a second and go. see what I can come up there with. There you go. So the name of our podcast, Chowder and Grits. First off, what was your uh, initial reaction to that name? It made me hungry. <laughs> uh, that's a like, good answer. That, what? That's <laughs> one of the best things about uh, covering the game at Boston College is they have the uh, legal seafood clam chowder in the press box. Yeah. So you can just load up on that like all game. Like it's, I'll literally eat like four or five bowls of that when I'm up there. It's so good. Uh, that was that was my next question. So I, I'd assume Massachusetts, you know, best chowder in the ACC. Does it live up to the hype? Sounds like it does. I like it. I know some people say, oh, it's overrated. Uh, those people are just trying to be too cool for school. Like, come on. That's it. Yeah. You like it. You just like it and it. you know it. It's good stuff. Uh, any grits recommendations down south? 
No, I don't have like a place that is like great for grits. I do know that when they were in the belt bowl uh, and we ate out at Charlotte like three or four times, I think I had shrimp and grits at every restaurant that Perfect. I went to on that Perfect. trip. So I'll say shrimp and grits at any Charlotte area restaurant was, was pretty good by my standards. There you go. Look, a, a guy from Minnesota going out and get uh, getting shrimp and grits as often as he can. I'm all about that. That's right. All right, some true or false. Keyshawn King will lead the Hokies in rushing in 2019. I will say false because I think it might be Tavian Feaster. Okay, Boom. well, I like that answer. I love that answer. True Let's go or with false. That. Trey Turner will make second team all ACC. I'll say false at this point. He's going to be on because, the first team. Well, <laughs> there you go. That's the one. I haven't gone up and down the roster of, of receivers. I know in a lot of these preseason things, he hasn't even been on some of these teams. I know. It's ridiculous. And I feel like that hurts you in the end because I feel like maybe receiver less so because a lot of that is just stats-based. Uh, but a lot, like, certainly with offensive linemen, you know, as a voter, I think sometimes you look at those oh, there's preseason a bump there. lists. There's a bump. There's no question. That preseason yeah, positioning, mean, it ends up ha- having a really large effect, especially on the offensive line. Um, but, you know, looking at metrics for those offensive linemen can be kind of difficult, too. I think with receivers, sometimes it just comes down to pure stats. Right. And, like, you know you know the Clemson guys are going to put up stats. You know the Syracuse guys are just going to have volume up there. I mean, they have good receivers, too, but also they have, like, 100-plus catches. So That's right. Some ridiculous total. So. You know, sometimes even second team is tough to get up to. I mean, Hazleton had a pretty good year last year, and he might even be somebody that's, you know, obviously has more recognition at this point than Trey Turner does. Uh, you know, if Hazleton puts up the same kind of numbers as Trey Turner does, and then you're voting between the two of them, I think Hazleton might get more of the votes yeah. just based on name recognition. So that's a great point. That's why that's why I'll go with false on that, even though I think Trey Turner could have the better year. Uh, so over or under Ryan Willis, thirty-five passing touchdowns. 35. Uh, Big number. I'll Gerard go Evans-esque on. number. I'll go under on that. Uh, 34. We'd be including the uh, the bowl <laughs> game there. Yeah, I definitely mean, including almost, the bowl game. Well, and you got to think, Virginia Tech probably in the college football playoff, so that's... Yeah. Oh, okay, so <laughs> 15 games go. is what you're sitting now. Yeah. Um, I'll say under because that that's a huge number. I mean, that is way up there. Yeah, that's a lot. I, I think he can be pretty productive. I just I don't. Thirty five is tough to hit. Over or under? I, I know the answer to this one, but let's talk about it. Virginia Tech defense ranks twenty fifth in total defense. Uh, I'll say under as in lower than twenty fifth. Yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. That would be uh, that'd be a great season. Enormous jump. I mean, if they did yeah. that, oh my give, gosh, give Bud give Bud the Broyles Award at this point. What's, uh, what's your guess? Like what range? I can't remember what it's they finished last science, year. Right? I, I'll say if they can get fiftieth or better, that that's pretty good based on okay. where they were last year. Fifty is going to win us a lot of ball games if we can get there. Um, that that's enough to avoid some of those drubbings that happened last year. I mean that that ODU game. The pit game. I mean, I'm haunted by those. I'm haunted by them. Yeah, those were those were pretty ugly. I would try to erase those from the memory if possible. I'm trying. If I were a Hokie fan. I'm trying. 
Uh, true or false, Virginia Tech extends their win streak over UVA to a whopping 16 years. I'll say true at this point because yes. I have, uh, you know, I broke my rule last year of saying that I, I have to see it happen before I pick it to happen. And I actually picked UVA to win last year, and I, I looked like it was going to be right until like four things happened in the fourth <laughs> quarter, and they were in right. overtime. It was just like un, like some mystic force, right? You yeah. know, came down and, and you know, be. it wasn't. Meant I mean, to be. my goodness. All the guy had to do was not even fall on the ball in the end zone, but just knock it out of the end zone. Oh, the game, man. the streak is over, and somehow Virginia Tech gets a touchdown out of that. Yeah, Mind blowing. Is, is still that's still amazing to me in hindsight how that happened. Uh, so I picked them the straight down last year because I just I didn't think the Hokies were very good, and they weren't. Nope. Uh, to be fair, somehow the, somehow they figured it out and won it. Uh, so I'm going to go back to my uh, my strategy before, where I'm going to continue to pick Virginia Tech until UVA can prove to me that they can actually end the streak. Because I think it's it's like a hang up at this point. I think it's in their heads uh, that that it does kind of affect them on the field a little bit. Uh, true or false? Virginia Tech wins the coastal. I would say false at this point. Uh, where are you? I'm probably. I'm probably leaning Miami. I think Miami gets both Virginia Tech and Virginia at home. Uh, I don't know how much that matters necessarily with the Miami home crowd that they typically have there. But, you know, that's better than going up to play at Lane and play at, at Scott Stadium even. It, you know, UVA has given Miami a lot of fits, especially at Scott Stadium over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even when UVA wasn't necessarily that good, they still played them really tough. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at the entire schedule yet, so I don't know exactly how Miami's crossovers play out like that. But I, I would probably give the edge to Miami right now. So, final question. Two, two final questions. Uh, best venue in the ACC? This is a home run. Virginia Tech. <laughs> it's a layup. Best, men, like best menu in a restaurant no, in best, the ACC? No, best venue. Venue. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My ears are uh, are failing me here. Uh, best venue. Lane Stadium. Ah. Softball. Well, <laughs> do, do, am I allowed to say the the home stadium for the Hokies here? But I'm just I'm trying to just grow your audience. Well, <laughs> the issue with me saying the issue with me saying Lane Stadium is that I've seen it so often that it sort of becomes routine sure. to me over time. So it it's like. I go to a place like Clemson, and it's unique. So you sort of get that extra thrill from going to a place that's unique. I mean, I think it's definitely Lane and Clemson are the top two in the ACC, and then depending on your you know Not experience level with that. College. Yeah, I, mean, uh, no. I was expecting that Chowder review to lead a lead to a Chestnut. Well, the Hill funny there. thing about the the funny thing about Wake Forest is that it's like it's a Lane Stadium clone. I mean, it, it's that. Indiana and Virginia Tech have like the same like basic design where it's like the huh. stair step. You look at the, the the side of the stadium; it's like a stair step coming right. down. Uh, the two sides like that. Uh, Lane Stadium has obviously been built up over the years much more than either of those two. But you go in there; it's like bizarro Lane Stadium. Uh, <laughs> That's when interesting. At it. You're right, though. Uh, I mean, I didn't put two and two together, but you're absolutely right on Wake Forest. I haven't been to Indiana, but um, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, I think there's some cool ones to go to. Like, I kind of like going to the Carrier Dome. Uh, 
it's not like this great venue to watch a game, but like the press box is really low relative to other places. So it's like a very unique look and like, you're not, you don't cover many games in a dome. It's just kind of yeah. cool to go in there. I think Pitt's a nice stadium. It's never full because nobody cares about Pitt football when you're up there. Uh, and, and like the, the design of the stadium is yellow seats. So you can see every empty seat. Up there. <laughs> right. It's just blaring it's just, yellow yeah. looking out at you. Uh, I'd also say a really cool one. I wouldn't put it up there above Lane or, or Clemson, but uh, I think Georgia Tech, uh, yeah. especially at, at night, I mean, it's just such a cool location. You're sitting there right next to downtown. It's all the huge buildings in Atlanta right next to you. It's, it's got a very intimate feel to it as well. It's a really old stadium. Yeah. Uh, I really I really like that. Like Thursday nights at Georgia Tech is a really cool uh, experience uh, yeah. for the ACC. So I, I put that one on there too. And historically speaking, it's cool, the age of that stadium, but not only that, having the actual bleachers of the old stadium or the stands of the old stadium underneath the new stands is, is pretty darn cool to go see that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you on Georgia Tech. I think they've got a really cool if stadium. They could, if they could ever fill it up, yeah, then it would be even better. But every yeah. time you go there, it's like maybe 60% full and a lot of them are opposing team fans. Like they did the... The north end zone or whatever it is is mm-hmm. never full. I mean, it's just complete bleachers. So right, maybe maybe that changes under Jeff Collins. Like, hey, Swaggy G, you never know. Yeah. Uh, so Andy, final question. I was uh, you know navigating my my way around the athletic app earlier today. Notice there's a podcast section. There's no college football podcast that appeared to me. Chowder and grits on the athletic. What do you think? Boom. It's probably a done deal at this point. <laughs> Signed, right? sealed, delivered. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll expect uh, I'll expect to be on there by tomorrow. Then <laughs> we'll have our people. Analysis. We'll have our people get in touch. Perfect. Yeah, because sure. yeah. we for totally sure. have people. So yeah, perfect. Yeah, you got my email. Those are those are my people. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andy. Thanks. Thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. This was uh, this was a lot of fun, and uh, you know. For, for those of you not already on the athletic, be sure to head over there, check it out. It is it is worth the two ninety nine or five dollars or whatever the uh, initial annual fee amounts to per month. Oh no question. I mean, I would pay more for the athletic than I play. Don't tell them that, but I would. I'm gonna give you their. I'm gonna give them your specific email and say charge this guy double. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we always have deals. Between you, we always have deals going on. It's three bucks a month right now. I mean, it's like. You spend that much on coffee a day, like three bucks a month. Give it a try. We just want people yeah. to try it because I th- think if you try it, you like it, and you, you'll see that you know across all sports, it gets you everything on the site. It's not like that. If you sign up, you just get Virginia Tech stuff. You get every team in every sport. Uh, I think it's a pretty good value. Yeah, and I, one of the coolest things to me is uh, you, you get your beat guys. Uh, you get the guys that intimately, intimately know the programs. Uh, for a lot of the programs, especially like you. I mean, you with Virginia Tech, it's great. But you also have the great national guys, too, putting out great content. So if you're even remotely a fan of college football or remotely a fan of the Hokies, um, it's just it's a no-brainer. It, go ahead and sign up, and it's totally worth it. And continue the good good stuff. You've really been putting out some great stuff for the Hokies out there. Well, hopefully more to come as well. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me. Okay, so that was our interview with Andy Bitter, once again, the beat writer for Virginia Tech football from The Athletic. Uh, great insight. Uh, liked his um, 
I, I really like the final segment going through the uh, fun rapid-fire questions, and uh, he's going to get back to us on the all-ACC names team there, Tim. But it <laughs> uh, sounds like he's, he's a huge fan of Chowder and Grits, the name. Absolutely. Um, the podcast, I guess we'll have to listen to this and see what, how he thinks it comes out. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with he thinks it's a pretty good call. Yeah, and I thought it was nice you know, to tie in. He, he got the regional aspect of the name, which I certainly appreciate it. Um, but you know, something warms my cockles about a, a man from Minnesota eating what seems to be a large amount of shrimp and grits when he gets down here. I mean, that, that's what we do down here. So, uh, great to hear that. Uh, good to hear that the chowder in Boston lives up to its reputation. These are the things that people are tuning. They, they don't want to hear about projections of the 2019 season. Uh, they want to make sure that that chowder up North is everything it's built up to be. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, just an overview of just kind of looking at, at the team as a whole as well. Like, you know, moderate expectations, things eight and four. I think that's very uh, – that could easily happen. Sure. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Um, and with our schedule, one could argue it probably should happen. And if it doesn't, yeah. what does that really tell you? Yeah, it, it really depends on how realistic you want to be and – what the durability is of the team going forward. It's easy to sit here in June and, and talk about what's going to happen through the end of November. Right. We have no idea. So um, just a good preview, hopefully, uh, you know, from now until the end of summer when we uh, officially kind of preview the upcoming season from a roster and a game standpoint. But, uh, you know, that's what we had for you today. Uh, thanks for listening. If you are new here, be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, uh, hopefully a five-star rating, four if you have to. Three, uh, eh, I don't think you want to leave no, that. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'd probably just hover around the five or the four range. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people where they can find us? So you can find us on all the usual sites that I can't rattle off the top of my head, but I prefer the Apple Podcasts. I know you can find us on Spreaker, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Um, and anything else, you can go to our website, catch the links to our podcast there, um, and play us from the embedded audio player. Uh, certainly appreciate any shares that you guys can give us, any shout-outs on social media. Just share our posts. That would be you know go a long way in helping us get a little more uh, in front of, of potential audience members. And we're certainly appreciative of any of the uh, kind words that you guys pass our way. We love what we do, and we look forward to doing more of these and growing with you guys. As I mentioned in the last podcast, Justin mentions five-star reviews are the best. And as your mother said, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. So no need to leave a three- or four-star review. You can just go ahead and max it out with a five. That's it for this week's episode, and, and that's it for Andy Bitter as far as uh, you know our, our preview episode. But we look forward to maybe getting him back on the episodes uh, in the future, maybe some game recaps. Um, but either way, we look forward to doing this with you guys, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the next set of previews that we're going to do. See you guys later.